As we are going to now turn to read God's word, uh, please with me ask that God might uh, give us illumination both to what it says and to our conduct and belief of it. Let us pray. Blessed be your name, O God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father of glory, send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Spirit of all that is holy, the Spirit of Christ himself, the sacred and otherworldly power living within us in this sin-drenched place. May we hear your word with gladness. May the meaning and understanding in our hearts be granted to us by the illumination, the light of your spirit, that our hearts' eyes may be open, that as your sons and daughters, heirs of your kingdom, we might receive it, implant it, and be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Through Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. The Bible is the inerrant word of the true and living God, our only infallible rule of faith and practice. Uh, Let us begin the reading today at uh, Psalm 119, verses 57 through uh, 64. So, Psalm 119, verses 57 through 64. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Now please turn to the uh, letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 3. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 11 there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
though I, myself, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing work, worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Psalm 119, as you probably know, is a psalm which is an acrostic in the original Hebrew language. You, you may not know this. Um, perhaps, uh, if you would, just turn to that particular passage. You're going to see, uh, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. Everybody knows that, right? And everybody knows that, um, that it's uh, got these strange words at the head of every stanza as we, as we look through it. These are actually the uh, literal names of the Hebrew letters of the alphabet. Um, and what you may or may not know is that each of the stanzas, the first letter of each verse in each stanza begins with the letter that is the title of the stanza it belongs to. Now that might be interesting. Um, you've heard of acrostics before, right? M, uh, like mother, M is for the many ways you love me. O is for the oldness of your age. T is for the tears you shed for me. H is the heart of wisdom sage. All that kind of thing. Um, that is an acrostic. Well, that is exactly what Psalm 119 is. It is a 176 verses. 21, uh, yea, 22 uh, stands, uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You will notice that the last, second to last uh, one of these... Uh, of these stanzas is actually seen and sheen, and um, that's just too complicated to get into why they do that. But it is um, a it is an artistic and very skillful psalm in its writing. It is beautiful in its uh, recommendation and constant um, regard for God's word. It is uh, one of the more um, uh, rich psalms we have. Um, if you read it, uh, we wonder who wrote it. Uh, some people think that David wrote it. Perhaps he did not. Perhaps he did. Uh, we do know some things if we look at it, however, and we start to see that um, we know, first of all, that God has always had his loyal people. He's always had his people. And the psalmist uh, was one of these, and, and perhaps uh, the psalmist had some that were with him, 
But it does seem to be, as you read the psalm, that the psalmist is lost in the wilderness and in uh, being slandered and being abused and being neglected, criticized, rebelled against. Um, there is some skepticism on the part of the psalmist. They have made void thy law, verse 26, 126 of the psalm. Um, the heart of the psalmist ranges from um, his outrage over the fact that the men in the world that he observes are more halfway there of double mind toward devotion to God rather than full devotion toward God. Uh, the attacks on the psalmist himself are taking the form of things like derision and slander. Um, in fact, uh, plotting against them behind his back leads us to believe something that could be David, as that certainly occurred to him. The authorities themselves persecute him as well, and um, the devious regime that uh, he is part of is not openly wrong, but such verses as 87, where we read um, this, that they have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. And the portion we read, even that... Um, the cords of the wicked ensnare me, but I do not forget your law. Kind of indicate to us that there is a, a certainly uh, thin-skinned type of fellow being writing this. And, and those of you who are thin-skinned like I am, um, who uh, don't easily suffer uh, under uh, criticism and uh, harsh words of others, um, we can learn some things here. And it uh, often is the thin-skinned that um, ends up being the prophet. Certainly Jeremiah was a thin-skinned man, gaining um, a derision for all of his ministry. If you're a thin-skinned person, perhaps uh, you can take some solace. But our thin-skinnedness should not lead us to have contempt for others or to withhold forgiveness from them. Count worthy the fact that you, if you are thin-skinned, if you do see uh, these things in the world around you, that you are simply sensitive to what is uh, the dishonoring of God in a world in which you live. That's okay. What's not okay is self-righteousness in it. And perhaps we might be um, able to, with the more thick-skinned folks we find in the Bible, declare with them that it is God who is our advocate. It is Jesus Christ who is the one with whom we have to do and not others. That being the case then, we find the psalmist going through this process of trying to find where his, where his assurance might be, where his, where his ground might be. He, uh, in verses uh, 41 through 48, previous to these verses that we're going to look at, we find him uh, finding that God is full of steadfast love. He calls him the God of steadfast love. In fact, that's his, exactly the, the attribute of love that he comes up with as he begins to turn from the, the, uh, the betrayal of others to turn to God and his devotion to him and find his his, his stay and his, his, his power in him. It is that which uh, Jesus himself from the cross in Psalm 22 when he says, God, why have you forsaken me? In quoting that whole psalm, you can see that what eventually happens in the psalmist's words 
is a, an assurance of trust in the one and the only one who matters. And Christ's obedience to the Father on the cross is that very thing which is led to here. Here in Psalm 119, though, we find this steadfast love also um, being true in all things that we, we see, um, all things that we encounter. Um, it is God's love that is revealed here. And it is possibly David saying this. Certainly it is someone who understands who God really is. Moving to the next stanza, the stanza which is entitled Zion, um, we find that it is more than this, it is his comfort that brings him. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Your word, your promise, your law, your precepts, your uh, your, your, your words have given me life. His love and comfort are in the good news that he is redeemed by the God with whom he has to do. Here in the psalm, we, don't, uh, we see its Old Testament sort of language, but we can, with an understanding of the whole of the Bible, go back and say what he's understanding is that his, his, his redemption, his sin, his forgiveness, all of this is bound up in the words of the promise and comfort of what God has said he would do with him. This is all true. This is all good. His assurance of God's love, the peace he has in his conscience, the Holy Ghost's presence in his life, the increase of grace, and the perseverance in all this to the end are the benefits that he is claiming. But more than that, when you get to the psalm that we're, or the part of the psalm we're looking at, as James Montgomery Boyce says, what is really involved in a prayerful study of God's Word is not finding comfort only in getting to know one aspect or another of God's character. Even as one as important as love is, but rather getting to know and possess God Himself. That is the reward of those who through God's Word seek Him and His face. So that's what our stanza in 57 through 64 does and is about today. Finding God truly by listening to his word. Um, if you might grant me just one bit of accommodation, I am a, I'm a Presbyterian, so I like to quote from the Westminster more than I do from Heidelberg. Um, I beg your tolerance. The scripture principally teaches what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man. If any, either of these things matter to us, it is the word of God is where we find these things. In Psalm, 50, uh, Psalm 119, 57 through 64, it comes to us in three main parts. A profession of faith in God, in verse 57. A prayer for his favor, in verse 58. And then, in verses 59 through 63, a profile of those who are God's people, what they are like. We read from the Heidelberg Catechism about the nature of repentance and true faith and conversion, and we talked about that. This is actually uh, complemented here in verses 59 through 63 as we look at it. But let's look at the profession first in verse 57. The Lord is my portion, he says. I promise to keep your words. In the profession of verse 57... We find the phrase, this, this phrase, the Lord is my portion. Now you might be inclined to go read that, just correct, go right past that. You know, the Lord is my portion, I promise to keep your words, I entreat. Well, let's just stop there for a second and ask a question. 
What does this word portion mean? In a biblical sense, and in the sense that is uh, all through the scripture, and especially the Old Testament, we find the word portion meaning uh, that which is an inheritance. Uh, When the Israelites settled in the land, every tribe was given a certain portion of the land. And each tribe was given that portion, and then they occupied that land. Now, they all got their own portion. But one tribe did not get any land. What they got instead were cities, villages, scattered out through all these other portions. The Levites. In fact, um, they were given 48 priestly cities scattered out through the land. They had no land, but they had something better. Joshua 13, verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Now, I think it is this sense of portion, this this sense of the word portion that the psalmist has in mind here as as he's taking us through his psalm. An inheritance after the fashion of the Levites, I think, is what's going on. That had to be what he was thinking about. The verses we have read up to to now, if we're reading Psalm 119, they all have to do with leading to God, leading to some place of comfort, leading to something that would give him a, a sure understanding of where his inheritance is, where his ground is. It comes now in this particular stanza here at verse 57 and following this crescendo, God is my inheritance. The Lord God is my inheritance. He is my ground. He is my riches. I neither want nor need anything else. Can you say that the Lord is your portion? Jesus even says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Our Lord and Savior says that we are to seek him with our whole heart. We are to seek the whole Christ given to us, both his his work and his person, and this is our inheritance. We should be reminded of the um, parables of the kingdom, which Jesus uses to remind us over again the single-mindedness that is necessary when it comes to seeking God, seeking the triune God. It's not only a commendable thing to be single-minded in this, to be kind of a God fanatic, if you will. It is is okay. It's not just commendable. It's necessary. It's expected. It really is. We should be reminded of these parables. The parable of the hidden treasure, the field that has this this treasure in it that the man gives everything for just to have the field. The pearl of great price. He sells everything he has for this one pearl, and as he has the pearl, and of course this is Christ himself and his benefits, this is who he's talking about, the kingdom of God. The point of the parables, the point of what Christ is saying, the point of this saying that the Lord is my portion is this. Once you find the kingdom, nothing else matters. Of course, the things of the kingdom matter. I mean, we still love and uh, we obey authorities. We still um, obey God. We still do other things that, that God has called us to, both knowing him and what duty he requires of us. Uh, we find the kingdom, though nothing else matters. If it's not about the kingdom of God, then it's not of concern to us. 
Of course, we'll sell everything we have if we truly are God's people. Uh, It's worthless if we possess it. It's worthless if we hold on to it. Comparison to the kingdom. What else is there worth having than Christ himself, I ask you? I think the writer of the psalm here has, um, in the uh, title of this sermon, been able to say, Eureka! You know? Um, Those budding Greek scholars out there of you um, know that that is a Greek word which is in the perfect tense, meaning uh, it's a horrible, it's one of those horrible Greek verbs that you cannot ever, uh, it just doesn't, it defies, it's what we call an irregular, what we call is a torturous verb. It does not follow any of the normal models of how verbs go. But the, we know this, this is a word in our own language, right? If I say Eureka, you know what I mean. I found it, I see it, I have it, I got it, I see it. Right? That's exactly what is being said here. The Lord is my portion. I see it. It's here. I understand it. You know, um, I, uh, when I was uh, about 30 years old, no, a little, a little younger than that even. That was a long time ago. Um, uh, I remember being in a Christian bookstore, and I was going through in the bookstore, and I, I, I you know, I just was pretty young in the Lord, in fact. I, I was in my uh, mid-twenties, I think. And I, um, I, I saw there, on the shelf, a grab bag of books for $5. And it was like this, you know, you didn't know what was in it. It was a bag. You had to take the bag and just be content with what you got. I don't know what else was in the bag, but the one book that was in that bag was a book by A.W. Tozer. And um, it was a collection of his articles that he wrote. Now, he, he died the same year I was born, 1963. I, I've, I've since found out all this about him. But I, what I have always enjoyed about A.W. Tozer is the pithy way he writes. The no-nonsense sort of clear way he always wrote about everything and the way he could easily bring out the central part of everything that he says. And I think no other human writing has more contributed to my becoming a reformed kind of Christian than this one. And it was this one of the articles in this book called The Joy of Possessing Nothing. I don't know if you've read this article, perhaps you have, but if you don't even know who A.W. Tozer is, let me tell you, um, this is worth reading. Now, what happens is in this article is that Tozer is talking about Genesis 22, where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar because he's been commanded by God to do so, and he, um, he, he begins the... The, he, he, he takes the knife and his, his hand is stayed by the angel. And in that moment, uh, it was uh, that uh, Tozer writes that he is a man marked out for special treatment. See, he was wholly surrounded by all of his possessions. The one thing, however, that he, that he had the most esteem and had placed all his trust in and all of his, he put all his chips on that color, if you will allow that, uh, is this idea that all of the promises of God were balled up in Isaac's life. That his survival and his perpetuation meant Abraham's life. And God 
would not be sharing his throne with Isaac in Abraham's heart. Now he could have, he could have gone um, around the edges of Abraham's life, and he could have decided to come to him in a in a way that was sideways. Um, Abraham had concentrated all of his faith, all of his trust in this one person, in this one son, but God had had taken it away in his command to sacrifice him. Yeah, he could have begun by pointing out, you don't need all those flocks, I'll take them from you, like he did with Job. He he could have said, "Uh, you don't need all of that other riches you have, uh, the the land and the other things you have, Abraham, I'll take those away from you. No, he went right to the one thing, just like Jesus does with with the rich young ruler. He went right to the one thing that was the center of this man's existence, Isaac. And he said, get rid of it. God could have begun at the, at the margins, but he went right to the center. He chose to act quickly and get to the heart and have it over in one sharp act of separation. This is, um, this is in this moment, Tozer says, that he, in, in the willingness to slay this idol, which was his son, he had God as his portion. He possessed nothing. But in that one moment, he was shown that he had everything. And he returns back to his wife, Sarah, with Isaac, the young man still alive and in tow, having everything but possessing nothing. And this is what it means to have God as your portion. Is there anything in your life you put before him or anything you have substituted for him in your heart. Whatever it may be, may God show you and go right to the heart that you may give that up just as this psalmist has here in declaring this profession. The Lord is my portion. To this profession of faith, he joins a prayer in verse 58. And this prayer is, is one of those prayers which is, is uh, much different than you hear out in the world. Uh, there is a, uh, a kind of a view of prayer that it's really God, his, you know, how you spell God in some people's hearts is, he, you spell God A-T-M. You know? He's Santa Claus. He's supposed to give you what you want. He's supposed to give you uh, the things that make you happy. That's not what he is about. He gives you the things which make you holy. He gives you the things which are making you Christ-like. This is the exact prayer he brings here in verse 58. So I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me the way I want you to be gracious to me. Be gracious to me so that other people will see how gracious you are. No, 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 no. Be gracious to me according to your promise. This is a prayer which entreats favor of God. In fact, this is a great tutor for us about what it is that prayers ought to be like. Prayers, and we must understand this, is really about the condition of the heart of the one praying ought to always be an expression of helplessness before Him. 
It isn't the last resort. You know, I'm going to do everything I can do uh, and hopefully get as far as I can get. And then if I have anything lacking, I'm going to get on my knees and when all else fails, pray. You know what? If you don't pray, all else will fail. That's exactly the problem with most people's understanding of prayer. I, um, I, I was reading in a book, uh, it's a regular book, uh, a, a, a book on, uh, a book on uh, it's one of these Tom Clancy books, okay? I used to work in intelligence in the Army, and it's kind of fun to read how he gets it wrong. <laughs> All right? Um, or maybe how <laughs> I thought of it wrong. But there was a situation in which the hero of the book, his mother, or his, his, his wife and his daughter had been injured in a car accident uh, by a terrorist, you know. And, and uh, he's uh, in the hospital, and one of the men comes up to him and says, uh, hey, do, do you need anyone to pray? He says, I got a priest doing that for me. I'm going to find out who did this and bring him to justice. See, that's how most men, most, most heroes, most real men of today think things ought to be. Prayer, give that to the pro to pray. Give that to someone else to do. Delegate that devotion thing that really doesn't do anything. In action. That's prayer. Prayer is in action, you think. And that's simply not the case. What the scripture teaches us here is prayer is action. True action. In fact, nothing happens in our lives. If we read the Bible without prayer, if we serve Him without prayer, if we make decisions about our wife or who we, be, who we would marry or who would marry us uh, about without prayer, if we do anything without prayer, we are saying we are help. We do not need God's help. In fact... It's just the opposite, isn't it? Prayer is action. It is the most holy action. It is the very means by which the enemy of God becomes the friend of God. When he cries out to him in the name of Christ and for his sake asks for grace and mercy, declaring his sinfulness before Christ and and, and trusting only in what Christ has done and putting all his cares upon him for he cares for us. This profession and this prayer. Um, you know, first of all, on prayer, you, you simply cannot add um, the things of what is here in this stanza uh, to a life that is not repentant. You know, get, get up in the day. Uh, with the things to do today? Okay, one, uh, get sanctified. Okay, two, increase my repentance. Three, find my delight in God. What, what it is, is these are, ne- these are necessarily things which are so private and so unseen by others that they are almost invisible. But are they? How we pray, how we conduct our life, what we get angry about, um, I, I'm just going to say it, uh, it was a very, very, very stern providence that I hit every red light on the way down 27th Avenue today. <laughs> you know, come on! You know, about halfway through that I said, wait a minute. What is God teaching me here? You know? Um, not to presume upon your patience that I was uh, not on time. Um, certainly not that. But to teach me that, you know, this is, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of when you get there, I'm in charge of how you get there. How you decide to take that, that reveals something. I saw I had something revealed to me today that I wasn't really proud of. But should I be proud 
Or should I just listen? I pray that as you yourself um, think about and meditate on the words of these two verses that I've just talked about, that what you'll do is, is, is first of all, seek nothing but God Himself. And what I mean by that is, of course, that Christ and all His benefits would be yours through faith. That you would exercise those means of grace which are given to us by God. That we would understand what those are. And that's exactly what He does in this psalm. He tells us of these. Secondly, that you would, in understanding that, realize those parts that you do not really truly possess God as your portion. Or that He does not possess you as a fully given over and surrendered Abraham. Yeah. Do you really possess nothing? Or do you possess your portion, who is the Lord? This, I pray, is how you might see this lesson of Psalm 119, verses 57 and 58 today. Um, Christ has given us all of His righteousness. By faith, it is the only righteousness we need. It is the only righteousness that God the Father accepts. It is the only righteousness that comes because it comes by grace. It comes without earning it. It comes without our doing anything to get it. It comes with that prayer of helplessness that says, Be gracious to me according to your promises. Not only this, we have His own grace. We also have His favor in the sense that we are hearing His word today. And if we want to see our souls, affections, be tilted more and more to God, it is through His Word that we must do it. It is through His Word and prayer and the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day and the fellowship that is in that and the sweetness of God's presence in and among His people that He has given us all and shown us all that this is how He brings His, his people to Him. May we all together see and say, as those who are poor in spirit, and those who are like Paul saying, I want nothing except the fellowship of his sufferings and the joy of his re resurrection. I want to know nothing except his righteousness. I want to possess nothing but Christ. May we say with him and all together that the Lord is our portion. May Christ be your portion this morning. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, maker of the universe, grantor of all good things to us and giver of gifts. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word that you have spoken to us stands forever. We pray, Lord, that we would find our portion in you. May the work and person of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, be our hope and stay. May we stand on no other thing as we talk to you, as we listen to you, as we serve you in this world.
and as we hope in you. May we hope for nothing more than to be in your presence in his name. Pour your spirit out upon us, O Lord. May we, with the great power of that spirit, be led to Christ more and more each day. Conform us to his image, as is your will, O Lord, we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.